This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This is the Intelligence Matters Podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. The last few days have been extraordinary. Allegations by an anonymous whistleblower. The subsequent release of documents that clarified those allegations and the initiation of an impeachment inquiry by the House of Representatives. Given the importance of all this, we wanted to do a special edition of the podcast because there are some points I'd like to make about it. I'm Michael Morell, and this is a bonus episode of Intelligence Matters. We're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to share some of my thoughts about the political crisis over the president's phone call to the Ukrainian president. You might ask why I'm doing this on Intelligence Matters. In fact, you might argue that we should not do politics on this show. But I think we need to discuss this issue for two reasons. One, because the intelligence community is involved. And two, because there are national security implications to what is going on here. The call was perfect. It couldn't have been nicer. And even the Ukrainian government put out a statement that that was a perfect call. There was no pressure put on them whatsoever. But there was pressure put on with respect to Joe Biden. What Joe Biden did for his son, that's something they should be looking at. Let's start with the president's allegations. He alleges two things. One, he says that the Democrats conspired with Ukraine to interfere in the 2016 election. And two, he says that former Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, was involved in corrupt activities when he served on the board of directors of a Ukrainian gas company named Burisma and that then-Vice President Biden worked successfully to get the then-Prosecutor General of Ukraine, a guy named Viktor Shokin, fired in order to protect Hunter from Shokin's investigation of Burisma. That's what the president alleges. In 2016, while Vice President Biden threatened to withhold $1 billion in American loan guarantees unless Ukraine dismissed its top prosecutor, who was seen as being lax on corruption. Biden's son, Hunter, was a board member at an oil company the prosecutor was investigating, but there is no evidence that the former vice president acted inappropriately. This is probably the place to make clear that there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that any of what President Trump alleges is true. No evidence of the 2016 election allegation and no evidence that the vice president or Hunter did anything illegal. If there was any evidence, there would be Justice Department investigations into one or both of those. There are not. 
In addition, numerous investigative reporters have looked into these allegations and have found nothing. The Washington Post recently said about the Biden allegations that there is no there there and it is bogus on its face. We also know that some of President Trump's most senior advisors told him on many occasions that there was no basis to the allegations. Tom Bossert, the president's highly capable former senior Homeland Security advisor, who was fired by then National Security Advisor John Bolton, made this point Sunday on ABC This Week. It's not only a conspiracy theory, it is completely debunked. You know, I, I don't want to be glib about this matter, but uh, last year, uh, retired former Senator Judd Gregg wrote a piece in The Hill magazine saying the three ways or the five ways to impeach oneself. And the third way was to hire Rudy Giuliani. And, and at this point, I am deeply frustrated with what he and the legal team is doing and repeating that debunked theory to the president. Let's dig a little deeper. And I should say here that this is based on my own reading of the situation, conversations I've had with others, and applying my analytic skills to all of that. Let's take the Hunter Biden allegation first. The wrongdoing that was eventually found at Burisma occurred two years before Hunter joined the board. Hunter was cleared of any wrongdoing. Perhaps it was not the best decision to serve on a board in Ukraine when your father is deeply involved in U.S. policy toward that country, but that is not corruption. Then there's Vice President Biden. I think the first thing to say is that when Vice President Biden was pressing the Ukrainian government to have Shokin removed, he was acting at the direction of President Obama. He was not acting on his own, as some of President Trump's supporters would have you believe. This was Obama administration policy, policy that was the result of interagency deliberations, and it was policy supported by the United Kingdom, by France, by Germany, the EU, and by the International Monetary Fund. That policy was based on the accurate judgment that Shokin himself was deeply corrupt and was acting to protect corrupt officials, not prosecute them. In fact, Burisma fell into this category itself. There was an investigation of Burisma by the prosecutor general's office, but the office was not pursuing it. The investigation was not active. Shokin was not moving it forward. Shokin was, in fact, protecting the corrupt officials at Burisma from prosecution. This actually creates a deep irony, I think, in the president's allegation. If Vice President Biden's goal was to help Burisma, he would not have pushed for Shokin's firing. He would have wanted him to stay. By pushing for Shokin to go, Biden was significantly increasing the chance that the Burisma investigation would go forward, which is actually what happened when Shokin departed the scene. Amazing. So once you know the facts about all this, you have to be either through the looking glass, you have to be in Wonderland, you have to be in La La Land to think the vice president did anything illegal. I make this point as strongly as I do because I've been watching Fox News to see how they're covering all of this. And a good bit of their coverage has not been about President Trump's actions. Rather, a good bit of their coverage has been about the vice president's actions and how corrupt he was. That coverage is just plain wrong. The president's allies appeared on the Sunday political shows to attack the whistleblower who set off an impeachment inquiry. There were a lot of things, if you read the whistleblower report, that are concerning in terms of allegations that were very partisan. They continued to dismiss the allegations as secondhand knowledge, even though most of the details are corroborated by a partial record of the call released by the White House. 
I think this whole thing is a sham. I can't believe we're talking about impeaching the president based on an accusation based on hearsay. Who is this whistleblower? What bias do they have? So what do we make of the phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky? Well, we know for sure that President Trump asked Zelensky for an investigation of the 2016 allegation and an investigation of Vice President Biden and of his son, Hunter. Most Democrats see this not only as inappropriate, but also as a potential crime, soliciting an illegal campaign donation. Most Republicans say that they see nothing wrong with the request or they refuse to answer the question on appropriateness and simply say that what the president did does not rise to the level of impeachment. Here's what I find interesting. Senior government officials, most of them lawyers at the Central Intelligence Agency, at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and at the Department of Justice's own Office of Legal Counsel, all referred the whistleblower's complaint to the criminal division of the Justice Department. Why do I find that interesting? Because I know from my own time in government that executive branch officials are required by law to refer any possible crime that they learn about to the Department of Justice. This tells us that those organizations that did referrals to the Department of Justice based on the whistleblower's complaint saw the president's actions as at least a potential crime. It was normal. We spoke about many things. And I, so, so I think, and you read it, that nobody pushed it. Pushed me. Yes. In other words, no pressure. President Trump. Because you know what? There was no pressure. And you know there was, and by the way, you know there was no pressure. All you have to do is see it, what went on on the call. What about the issue from the phone call over whether or not the president pressured the Ukrainians? or whether the Ukrainians felt the pressure or not. The president and his supporters seem to think that these are a big deal. Well, in one way they are, and in one way they're not. I think the issue of pressure is a red herring from the point of view of whether the president broke campaign finance laws or not. The issue of pressure is irrelevant to that. But it is relevant to the question of how much did the president put the national security of our country at risk. The more the pressure the more the risk. So what can we say about the pressure? The president in the phone call, in my view, did indeed link U.S. assistance to Ukraine to his political asks. I say this because of the juxtaposition of the discussion on assistance to that of the political ask. About halfway through the phone call, the Ukrainian president raises defense cooperation, and he says Ukraine is interested in more cooperation. It's at this very point that the president chooses to make the political ask, saying, I need you to do me a favor, though. The timing of the president's ask implicitly ties the favor back to defense assistance. I can't read it any other way. And second, despite what the Ukrainian president has said publicly about feeling no pressure in the call, I'm fairly certain that the Ukrainians reacted to the phone call by thinking that they needed to play ball. Why do I say that? Because the United States is Ukraine's most important patron, both substantively and symbolically. And because the Ukrainians have long been concerned that President Trump will sell them out to Moscow. So for them, they must have read the phone call as meaning that U.S. support hung in the balance. Of course, they felt pressure. The whistleblower's attorney also says he fears for his client's safety because of some of the reaction to the report, and it has been significant. President Trump appeared to make a veiled threat against the intelligence official, tweeting, 
I want to meet not only my accuser, but also the person who illegally gave this information. Adding, was this person spying on the U.S. president? Big consequences. The rhetoric is raising concerns about the whistleblower's safety. So what about the whistleblower? What can we say about the whistleblower? I think the first thing is that the whistleblower is a hero, is a patriot. He or she had the integrity to stand up and say, I think I see something wrong, and my conscience says I have to report it. And he or she then had the integrity to report this through proper channels rather than by leaking it to the media. As the acting director of national intelligence said last week at his hearing, the whistleblower did exactly the right thing. The second thing to say about the whistleblower is that he or she is highly credible, despite how many times the president's supporters say that the whistleblower is not credible because he or she only reported hearsay. Why do I say the whistleblower is credible? The whistleblower made essentially four allegations. Number one, that the president had made an inappropriate call. Number two, that senior officials at the White House knew the call was wrong and tried to cover it up by moving the summary of the call from one computer server to another. And number three, that two people, the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and the United States special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, who resigned over the weekend, had followed up with the Ukrainians on the political ask the very day following the call. And number four, that U.S. assistance to Ukraine had been stopped in order to create leverage for the political ask. Well, we know for sure from the now-released summary of the phone call that the whistleblower's first allegation, the one about the call, is 100% right. That alone gives credibility to the whistleblower's other three allegations, as does, I think, Kurt Volker's abrupt resignation. If the whistleblower was wrong about Volker's role in the follow-up, Why did Volcker resign? The whistleblower's three allegations beyond the phone call must still be investigated and should not be taken at face value, but at this point, we have seen no reason not to believe them. I do fear that the whistleblower's identity will be revealed, and if that happens, the president's supporters will essentially tear that person to pieces in order to undermine his or her credibility. And I do fear that the whistleblower could literally be put at risk because of some of the things the president has said about him or her. The whistleblower also has some more work to do. The whistleblower's service to his or her country on this issue is not over. The whistleblower needs to testify in private. He or she needs to tell the House Intelligence Committee the names of the people from which the whistleblower heard the allegations about the president and the White House so that those people can be called to testify. Where does your committee take this from here? What's the procedure? Well, we have a pretty good roadmap, uh, thanks to the courage of this whistleblower. The complaint sets out uh, any number of witnesses, any number of documents that we need to seek. Do you expect the testimony of the whistleblower? Absolutely. Just a few more thoughts. I've been asked many times in the last few days about my views on how well the IC leadership handled the issue. This is difficult for me because I know what kind of pressure anyone who works for President Trump is under. And I know that people are trying to do the best job they can under that pressure. With that in mind, though, let me say the following. I think the acting DNI, Joe McGuire, who I have the highest respect for, who served his nation as a military officer with extraordinary distinction, did everything right up to the point when he decided not to send the whistleblower complaint to Congress. The Office of Legal Counsel told him that he did not have to send it. It did not tell him that he could not send it. I think when OLC made his determination, the acting DNI should have called the White House Counsel 
and told him that he was going to send the whistleblower's complaint to Congress. Given the gravity of the allegations, given his own inspector general's assessment of the credibility of the allegations, given that the call put our election security and our national security at risk. If the White House would have then said, no, we're ordering you not to send it, I think the acting DNI should have resigned. A mentor of mine used to say that people will put their lives on the line in the field, but they won't put their jobs on the line in Washington. Acting Director McGuire and the ICIG, uh, Michael Atkinson, were extremely forthcoming with us today, extremely helpful at trying to fill in some of the things that we haven't been able to pick up just from the published documents. Uh, this will generate more questions than we asked today, so the next two weeks we'll probably be trying to get answers to those, but uh, the committee's committed uh, to make sure that we get to the bottom of uh, what questions need answers. So what's the impact on our national security here? So why are we talking about this on Intelligence Matters at the end of the day? First, the narrow issue of Ukraine. Two points, I think. First, if none of this had come to light, if there was no whistleblower, and if Ukraine had followed through on the president's requests, it would have put the 2020 election at risk. And second, if the assistance to Ukraine was halted to give President Trump leverage for his political ask of the Ukrainians, then we put our own policy, we put the Trump administration's own policy to help the Ukrainians push back against Russian aggression at risk. That undermined our own interests in the region. More broadly, the president's actions and the subsequent publicity sends a message to every other country in the world that America's foreign policy is for sale and that it is for sale for information that will help the president win re-election. The message itself is bad enough as it undermines U.S. credibility. But what could be even worse is if some countries act on that message, try to find dirt on the president's 2020 opponent and share it with him. I also fear one more thing from a national security perspective. Because the whistleblower is from the IC, I worry about the president's relationship with the IC. He has long harbored the incorrect belief that a deep state exists in our government, including in the intelligence community, and that that deep state is trying to undermine him. This is all going to reinforce that belief on the part of the president, to the likely detriment of him listening to what the intelligence community has to tell him, and therefore to the detriment of our national security. One of the most important things that came out of today, though, is maintaining the integrity of the whistleblower process. People need to be able to come forward when they've seen incidents of waste, fraud, abuse, or inappropriate behavior and feel that they're not going to be reprisals. So um, that is an, another issue that we've worked on. And if there are current gaps in some of the legislation, we'll look at that as well. But there are obviously a, a lot of work to be done and uh, we're going to get at it. And the last point. We are undoubtedly going to learn much more in the days ahead. Many more facts are going to come out. So there's going to be much, much more to talk about. Stay tuned. This was a bonus episode of Intelligence Matters. Please join us each Wednesday for our regular episodes of the podcast. I'm Michael Morell. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Intelligence Matters podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. The podcast is produced by Olivia Gassis. Jamie Benson, and Jake Rosen. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you download podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Intel Matters Pod and follow Michael at Michael J. Morrell. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News Radio.
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcast starting May 8th. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts starting May 1st.